Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. That behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. We know that that one who is sitting on the throne is God Almighty, God the Father. In Psalm 110, you know this verse very well. It says, The Lord, Jehovah, said to my Lord, and the, the word is Adonai in the, in the Hebrew. So Jehovah said to Adonai, Jesus Christ, and this is what God the Father says to the Son, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Our scripture today says, And behold, a throne. This throne was what first impressed John, and it is the centerpiece of this vision. John was fixated on the occupied throne, and everything else is described in relation to this throne. The throne that he sees is not empty. There is someone who sits on this great heavenly throne. The throne is a powerful declaration of not merely God's presence, but his sovereign rightful reign and his prerogative to judge. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. That he was in the spirit during this period of time, the Lord's day, which really encompasses uh, uh, a period of time from the rapture of the church all the way to the end of the millennium. And some people... Uh, just include it and just say that it's just the time of you know the rapture of the church or the time of the great white throne judgment, whatever that is. But that whole period we could designate as being the, the Lord's day because it's, it's something that the Lord is going to do and it's a, a day that he has been longing for. And a thousand years is his one day and one day is his a thousand years as it says. And so we have every reason to believe that John was being transported to the time of the end that God was showing him. And so, uh, uh, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, really quickly. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're just going to look at the first four verses. This idea of being in the Spirit is very similar to what happened to the Apostle Paul. And he records for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this. He says, it is doubtful, and I would encourage you to read the whole chapter in context because the context is important. He said, it is, doubtless not profit, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up. And that word again is harpazo. So again, Paul, he was also not physically caught up, but in the spirit, if you will, just like John was, he was caught up to the third heaven, uh, which is the, the abode of God, the throne room of God, which we're talking about today. 
And he goes, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for man to utter. And so that's really the idea behind this in the Spirit. And you can also look up Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 9 through 16, where he had the vision of the of the of the sheet coming down with all four you know different creatures on it and the Lord was teaching him something about what was going to happen just immediately after that but we're not going to go there right now let's go on uh, because it says uh, that the throne notice in verse two that this throne that he saw in the spirit uh, there was a throne set in heaven uh, set meaning it was solidified it was it was concrete. Uh, there was nothing that could move it. In fact, in this chapter alone, in chapter 4, this word throne occurs 14 times. And there's only one other chapter in the Bible that has anywhere near that. And it was 13 times. It's mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 1 when David made Solomon king. And so this is really an important chapter because it really speaks about the throne room of God. And notice the throne is set in heaven. This is not, you know, um, some game where somebody can come along and knock the guy off the mountain like when you were kids. You played the king of the mountain or the king of the hill. No, this is a throne that is set very firm. There's nothing that can take it out of the Lord's hand. Nothing anyone can do to wrest it out of his hands. That's how wonderful our salvation is. And I love the fact that chapters 4 and 5, we read of this throne room in heaven, and we also see the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, taking the scroll. We'll see that next week, hopefully. Uh, he takes the scroll out of the hand of the Father on the throne, and, it, and it's a scroll with seven seals on it. And, the, and, and so we have this pause before we get into this horrible time that the Bible tells us is yet future to us today. It's yet future to us and uh, these seals, each one is going to unlo- unle- unleash, excuse me, each one of these seals is going to unleash judgments upon the earth that the world has never, ever seen, ever seen. This is going to be the worst time in history of humanity, but it's going to be a time of God's judgment upon a world that has rejected his only means of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. And again, that's lasts from chapter 6 through chapter 19, and we're going to be looking at that slowly as we go along. But I love the fact that there's this pause, a little breath of fresh air before all hell breaks loose on the earth. And believe me, folks, it is coming. That's one thing that we can't remove from our talk to people. As we talk to them about the gospel, we must let them know. Nobody wants to talk about judgment. Certainly talk about the love of God. Let that overwhelm everything, but do not forbear to tell them that there is judgment coming. There is an accounting coming, and there is no way to escape it, and there's not a soul that can escape it. Do not take that out of, your, of the equation. You mustn't. You remove the teeth of the gospel because there are many people today, many pastors saying, oh, just come to Jesus. Everything's going to be fine. The Lord will give you that fancy new car. He'll, you know, and he may give you a fancy car, but, you know, none of that matters. Um, But there's none of this mamby-pamby sort of cheap stuff that is being promoted in the church today. Uh, It's not all roses. No, there's coming a time where it's going to be, there's going to be judgment upon this earth and you can be, um, you can escape that judgment because what does it say in First Thessalonians five verse nine? For God has not appointed us, the church, to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So whose team are you on? Are you going to be on your own team? Well, guess what? If you're on your own team, you're going to go through that great tribulation. What team are you on? Are you on the team of, uh, of government? Guess what? You're going to go through that great tribulation. If you are on the Lord's side, if, the Lord, if you are on the Lord's side and he's on your side, believe me, you will be removed from that time of wrath that the Bible has a lot to say about. And believe it or not, more of it's in the Old Testament. And as we go along, we will look into that as well. But notice that, that behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. We know that that one who is sitting on the throne is God Almighty, God the Father. In Psalm 110, you know this verse very well. It says, the Lord Jehovah said to my Lord, and the, the word is Adonai in the, in the Hebrew. So Jehovah said to Adonai, Jesus Christ, and this is what God the Father says to the Son. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Notice what that says. Every enemy of Christ will come under his judgment in, in, in this period that we're going to be looking at on uh, the Great Tribulation. Every one of them will be under his foot. He will have dominion over them, no matter who they are, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, the liberal media, it doesn't matter. They are all going to be under his authority. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses... Um, uh, 12 and 13, it says this, But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. That means God the Father. So Jesus is going to sit at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. It also says in Hebrews chapter 1, speaking of Jesus again in verse 3, it says, who, being in the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, speaking of Christ, upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, what did He do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where Jesus is. That's where He told the Pharisees that He would go. He would ascend to the Father. And notice in Hebrews 12 again in verse 2, Paul admonishes us to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, he despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we know that God the Father is on that throne and Jesus is sitting on his right hand. And in verse 3 it goes on and it says, And he who sat there... Uh, he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. These two stones that we're looking at this morning, this jasper stone, is a very hard, adamant stone. It's clear as crystal. It's mentioned also in, in Revelation chapter 21. It, it could be a diamond because diamond is one of the hardest substances known to man. And so this stone, this jasper, is not the opaque stone that we have today, but this is, uh, they can also be clear. And this one, it's speaking of something that is clear as crystal and it speaks of the purity of God. It speaks of the truth of His government, that He's firm. Everything is established, that nothing can change. It's absolute. It's perfect. And then it speaks of the Sardius stone, which is a stone that was uh, found in Sardis. We've, we've looked at that church in the book of Revelation. That city was known for this stone. It was a deep red color. And um, it may remind us, remind us that God is a consuming fire. You know, and he shed his blood for us. 
It speaks of his redemption on the cross on our behalf. And so again, these stones aren't mentioned here just again by happen chance. They're there specifically for a reason. They're telling us something about the one who sits on that throne. The jasper, his, his purity. A diamond is, is hard, it's firm, it, it cannot be moved, it cannot be changed. You know, and a sardius stone, a blood red stone, a very beautiful stone. And it's also interesting to notice that on the high priest, on his, on the ephod that the high priest would wear back in the time of, of, of the patriarchs and the, the priesthood, they would have a, a, a breastplate. And the first stone in that one, in that breastplate, was a jasper. And the very last one on that breastplate was the sardius stone. Sardius stone. And these all represented, the jasper represented Reuben, the firstborn, and certainly the, um, the, the Sardius represents the very last son of Jacob, Benjamin. And, and these, uh, the word Reuben means behold a son. And the word Benjamin means the son of my right hand. And so what do you have in the picture of these two stones? You have nothing more than Christ, the first begotten son, who's also the son of God's right hand in relation to him being on the throne. Because he sits at the right hand on a throne next to God. And I love that about the Lord. Again, is there any coincidences that these stones represent what they represent? No, they're there by, by design, by purpose. And you can read for yourself in Exodus chapter 28, uh, verses 17 through 20, but read the whole chapter to get it in context, and you'll see what it means, what it means. And notice verse 3, he says, And there was a rainbow around the throne. A rainbow is something that we're all familiar with. Just yesterday, we were we went on a bike ride out in Rush, and um, it began to rain out in that area. Just a light rain, but there was some really beautiful clouds on our right-hand side as we were driving, and we saw this wonderful rainbow, and it looked like it was stretched out. It looked like uh, it looked like uh, the Borea, uh, borealis, uh, aurora, borealis. Or aurora borealis. It looked like that, and it was a rainbow. And it was the most beautiful, gorgeous thing. We took a picture of it, a couple pictures. We actually pulled off and risked our lives to get the picture. But the rainbow, and you know, I love that because uh, the rainbow is something that God gave to Abraham, I'm sorry, to Noah, and for all of us as a promise. In fact, let me just read it to you because, again, the fact that there's a rainbow and there was a rainbow around about the throne, what does that speak of? It speaks about all the promises of God or in, in Him Amen, or yes and amen. And when he makes a promise, he cannot break it. You and I can break promises all day long, but God will never break his promise. And what was the promise? Because after the flood, you remember in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, um, afterwards God made a promise to Noah. And what was the promise? We look at it in Genesis 9 beginning in verse 13. Let me just read it to you. God says to Noah, I set my rainbow in the cloud. And it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth, and the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and notice, every living creature of all flesh, the waters shall never again come, become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and it will, I will look to it, to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So it's a promise. 
that God would never flood the earth again. And we see that. We're reminded of that every single time we see a rainbow. Are there local floods? Yes, there are local floods. Is there going to be a worldwide flood ever again? Absolutely not. It will never happen. I don't care what the those who uh, are involved in global warming, what they might say. In 50 years, the whole world's going to be covered in water because the glaciers are going to melt. And all that. Hey, listen, I trust the Word of God. That's it. <laughs> you can trust the Word of God. God says he will never do it again, and we can rest our lives on that. You can take that to the bank. Redeem the rainbow, folks. (laughs) The rainbow, unfortunately, has been hijacked by the LGBTQ population. And you know, the Lord loves them, but he hates their sin, just like he hates our sin of whatever sin we have. Sin is sin to God, whether you're a fornicator between a, a, a man and a woman that's unmarried, or whether you're a homosexual, it doesn't matter. Whether you're a thief, whether you're a liar, God hates sin. And uh, But that rainbow, that promise, belongs to the earth. It belongs to everyone because it's God's promise. And so that's all I'll say about that. Let's look at verse 4. It says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, there is a lot of speculation as to who these 24 elders might be, but before we begin to unmask who these 24 elders might be, because there's not a lot um, spoken of, but I think there's enough in the Word of God that we can deduce. And for whatever reason, the Lord doesn't give us uh, the the, the clear-cut answer in a lot of places so that we can make a, uh, a dogmatic statement about it. But I'll tell you my opinion, and maybe you've got an opinion too. But first, let's talk about what it is not. These 24 elders, they are not angels. And why do I say that? Turn with me to Revelation 7, verse 11, because this ought to end it <laughs> right here. This statement in Revelation 7, verse 11, notice what it says. Now, in context, we don't have time to get into the context, but notice verse 11. All the angels, notice, all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their face before the throne and they worshiped. And and then they give their doxology here. But notice, there's three different groups of people, three different entities here. And they're very clearly laid out for us. The angels, the 24 elders, and the four living creatures. Do you get that? So there's no way that this group of 24 elders are angels. And also, angels don't receive crowns like the redeemed do. Angels do not receive crowns, and they aren't partakers of salvation like you and I are. That's why they kind of scratch their head about this plan of salvation, this plan of redemption. You know, these are things that angels want to look into because they don't have the need to be redeemed. You and I do. But turn with me over to chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Um, because we'll just quickly look at this and we'll go on. So I don't believe these are angels at all. In fact, in in chapter 8 it says, Now when he had taken the scroll, and we're going to get to this in the next week or two, when he had taken the scroll, this lamb, who's Jesus, from the hand of the one on the throne, which is God the Father, notice the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fall down before the lamb, each having a harp, speaks of music, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Sounds like a a priestly kind of thing, doesn't it? Isn't that what the priest did back in the Old Testament? And notice what they sang, a new song. And they said, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and nation 
and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We're going to talk more about that that phrase, those couple of verses next week, because uh, there's some things we need to talk about it. But let's just look at it at face value for now. These are um, uh, probably, are, we, we established that they're not angels, but I believe that they are also not um, representatives necessarily of the priesthood. Uh, some have said that maybe these 24 elders represented the priesthood that David had established of the Levites. It's recorded for us in First Chronicles 24, uh, the first 18 verses about how uh, there were 18 different heads of, of, the, of the priests, uh, and, and actually 24, I'm sorry, 24 heads of, these, of the priesthood. It could be that because we see some priestly duties that they did do here. They, there was some kind of worship involved here, and also, it's, actually it's all worship, but that they were offering incense. Uh, that's something that the, the, the uh, uh, priests would do as well. But let me suggest to you that these are representatives, simply put, of the church age. Jew and Gentile, because of that very statement that we just read, because it says, you've redeemed us to God by your blood. Who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ? Has it been angels? Um, uh, No, it hasn't. But is it true that the church has been redeemed? Because you're a part of the church if you believe in the blood of Jesus Christ, if you believe that it was sufficient and that it was that it covers you and that you've received Christ. So this could only be the church, the representative of the church age. And so, and in fact, um, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, what does it say? Uh, verse five, the end of verse 5, going into verse 6, it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And so one of the things as we go on here that's going to be really interesting um, and challenging, actually, is the fact that there really seems to be in the book of Revelation three different scenes, if you will, um, at least three different scenes. Uh, going forward from this moment, actually, in chapter 4 to the end, there seems to be three scenes. And the one is heaven, where we're talking about now, the very throne room of God. And then there's another scene where there's the millennial reign of Christ, a thousand years on this earth. On this earth, uh, Jesus will come back with us at the end of the, of the, of the seven-year period and set up his reign for a thousand years, okay? That's a second scene. The other scene is the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, which is going to replace this current heavens and this current earth. So at the, at the end of that thousand-year reign, Second Peter chapter 3 tells us this, and also we read about it in later on in the last few chapters of Revelation, this current heavens that we see around us, the stars, the moon, the sun, the earth itself will be consumed it will fade away. God is going to dissolve it. Peter says it's like fervent heat. It's going to be dissolved in fervent heat. And yet God will create a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem wherein dwells righteousness. This is the eternal state, the eternal state. And so when we look at this, you know, are these 24 elders, are they in heaven are they going to be representative during the, 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 the millennium, the millennial reign of Christ, yet future to us? Or are they going to be in the new Jerusalem? Well, I believe that uh, I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. And I don't think anyone is really sure completely. They're, they may still be in heaven. Um, but let me share with you one thing. Revelation 20, 
verse 4 says this. This is one thing we know for sure, I believe, with, with good certainty. In Revelation 20, verse 4, it says, John, again, he says, And I saw thrones. And this is at the- I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.